This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I am Emily Esterson from Coverside Magazine, the magazine of mounted fox hunting. And I'm Tara Tibbetts from Fort Worth, Texas. And you're listening to the monthly fox hunting episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for Thursday, April 16th, 2020, episode 2415. This episode is brought to you by Coverside Magazine. Good morning, Horse World. This is our special monthly episode that we come to you on the third Thursday and talk only about fox hunting. So put it on your calendar if you're a fox hunting fan and catch up on the latest and greatest for the third Thursday. And coming up on today's show, we're all taking a break. We're going to take a break and go to various and sundry places in Europe to go fox hunting with a little bit of help from Mary Ewing and Dr. Steve Thomas, who is the MFH of Fort Leavenworth Hunt. Stay tuned. Emily, what have you been up to? Well, you know, sheltering in place here in the old farm and uh, riding my horses a lot, which is fun. Not a lot of fox hunting activity right now. Everything's pretty much shut down. But we've been working on the magazine and we've been putting together some really fun stories for e-cover side and um, some fun stories for the print magazine and taking care of my puppy who hurt himself Aww. and uh, practicing my jumping and that's pretty much it. How about you, Tara? What have I been doing? So I don't I don't think I mean I usually don't talk a lot about work evident ever on the podcast, but I work in human resources and I feel like Corona Apocalypse is like I feel like the the focus is on, on HR more now than ever. So work has been incredibly stressful. And I've actually been going into the office quite a bit. Um, Texas does have a recommended shelter in place, but the governor here really left it to localities and, and counties to kind of make their own rules. And the company I work for is considered an essential business. So um, right now... Probably more than ever, my horses have really been the, uh, the significant mental break for me. So that's been really nice. And my husband and I live on a few acres. And so I am able to um, work from home with my 10 dogs, including a foxhound or two at my feet and go to work the days that I do and ride my horses. Um, it's kind of been nice that at least Corona Apocalypse happened during a really beautiful spring. Um, towards the beginning, there was a lot of rain, but lately it's been like in the 60s and 70s and sunny. So I've been riding. I did, um, I, I like to, my hot horse is a six-year-old off-the-track thoroughbred, and thoroughbreds are notorious for having amazing feet. And his are actually pretty good, but the last three summers I have, pulled his shoes off to try to just get his feet to be a little bit tougher. So I pulled his shoes off and he was fairly tender for a couple days. And then my neighbor who I love dearly, and I'm saying that very facetiously 
got some new boarding horses. And so my horses played over the fence with the boarded horses. And now Simon is tender footed because he took his shoes off and he has a really delightful wire cut on one of his ankles. Uh. So he, yes, he's, he's on about a month long break right now. So Coco's getting all the love. (laughs) Um, She's getting all the saddle time and all the love, but so yeah, it's just, you know, yeah, uh, I'll let you know that's kind of the plus side of the Corona apocalypse is that we all are working at home, and so if we have our horses at home, it's great to be able to just you know jump out there and ride in the middle of the day, which is you know what I've been doing lately, and and uh, I jumped my dressage horse the other day. She she was like, "What? Wait, what? What are we doing? What's that thing?" <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> she's actually a really nice jumper. So, um, yeah, but uh, but yeah, and Lucy's uh, Lucy's been going on trail rides in the neighborhood, and you know, jumping and working on our dressage. And we're lucky we live near the trails in the Rio Grande uh, Valley, oh, yeah. so we can just uh, haul over there and park and and keep our social distance and still ride down by the river, which is great. There's miles of trails. Um, although they're quite populated with mountain bikers right now. So, <laughs> Oh, interesting. I, I know yeah. that's, I think, um, Jen, didn't you guys have a couple incidents of going out to a park and seeing a lot of people? And then like a day or two later, the park was closed. It, it varies a lot here. Typically, if you go out to a trailhead on a weekend, this time of year, it'll be, packed full of people but as of the recording of this show they've shut down all of the trailheads so you can go out there and ride because there's nobody nowhere nobody policing the trails but there's nowhere to park <laughs> it's because they've closed, oh. they've closed all the parking areas yeah. Um, yeah apparently there is one locally here in marion county which is where ocala is that is still open because it it has some unique designation as the type of park it is and I heard through the grapevine that there were about 30 horse trailers out this past week oh. at that trailhead. Goodness. Yeah. Wow. And I, I, wish, I wish there weren't, but, yeah, you know, it's still free country. So, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the thing about Texas, too, because, like, I live in the, in the Fort Worth side of DFW and... Fort Worth, which is in Tarrant County, and Dallas, which is in Dallas County, both we are we have stay-at-home orders until April 30th. But um, you know, if you wanted to put your horse in the trailer and go a couple counties away, there's you know there's state parks I think are closed, but there's a there's some places you can still go and ride. And I know people who were doing it, and um, I don't know. It's just kind of one of those things I wrestle with because you know our healthcare system. Dallas and Houston have fairly significant numbers of coronavirus um, patients. Fort Worth, not so much. And so it's kind of a, I for myself have chosen that I'm not putting anything really in a trailer right now and going any place. I'm still riding, but I'm not jumping. Um, just because, you know, DFW is a pretty populated area. But if I, you know, if I was a better rider over jumps or I had a more seasoned horse, I think I'd feel safe doing it. But Coco tends to be a little bit unpredictable sometimes and she's way more talented than I am. And so we're just, we're just keeping it easy and yeah. Yeah. Being sensible. Yeah. Yeah, We're just, we're jumping little stuff and being sensible, you know, not jumping the big, not going the, not going the full big 
distance, you know. We're we're coming into summertime here in Florida, so riding tends to tail off a little bit anyway. And uh, I'm not about to cause extra work for the emergency rooms. Not that I ever want to do that. Yeah. (laughs) Regardless of whatever diseases are going around. I'm I'm trying not to put any extra potential virus traffic out there, you know. Yeah. Every time I go out in public and touch stuff, there's the potential to spread stuff intentionally or otherwise. So I'm just trying to avoid doing that part. You just not right. getting out and about as much, but I'm really lucky because I can ride at home. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. The three of us really are pretty fortunate in that we have pretty nice setups. And I've, one of my cousins lives, uh, I think he's in Brooklyn. And anytime I post a picture you know, of doing stuff outside, he always comments and is like, oh, it's, you know, it's so nice. You can go outside and go do those things. And he's kind of, you know, in New York right now, you're pretty trapped inside. And so it's a, I think this is one of, you know, this, I think this will turn out to be the most interesting social experiment for tens, if not hundred or so years, just how it's changed life. And I think how it will change life going forward and how we do things. Yeah. Sociology yeah. professors will talk about this in, you know, three generations from now. Well, yeah. and epidemiologists and yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's, economists. Yes, definitely economists. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of rumors going around that Texas governor is going to announce this week his a new executive order and plans to start reopening the state. So that will be. Wow. That's bold. Yeah, yeah we, we're stay at home in, in Dallas and Fort Worth until the 30th of April. And so, um, I don't know, it'll be, it'll be interesting. It's, I, I tend to be a bit of a rule follower and so I'm not going to be the first one to go out and go gangbusters, but I know for the, the health of my company, I know that I would like to see things start being a little more active sensibly though. So it's a hard, it's a hard call, you know, I mean, for me too, you know, I have uh, clients in the tourism industry, so it would be nice yeah. if, you know, people would start traveling again. But on the other hand, I don't want the disease to spread and I don't want exactly. people to get sick. So exactly. it's really a confusing time. So, yeah. yeah. So the, all of this is why we, we decided to make up the episode today, just a little bit of an escapist, um, opportunity for people to learn more about hunting in in other countries, which we've never really talked about before. We've talked about, you know, bits and pieces of going abroad. So we have a couple of guests sharing their adventures hunting in overseas. And I know it, I'm excited and excited to learn more about it and hopefully plan a trip abroad. So, yeah. And, you know, planning this episode, I went back and looked in my old scrolled way down in my Facebook photos and found all these fun pictures of when I went to England and hunted, which was so much fun. And I just really, I loved it. And I will tell you, it is something you've got to do. Even if you haven't hunted in the U S it's still fun to go overseas and hunt because it's just a different experience. You know, it's just, uh, and you meet the greatest people and, I rode the most amazing horse. He was so awesome. And I just was, I just fell in love with him. And uh, he was great. So really everyone I know who's gone riding, either hunting or um, one of my very close friends and her sister did a a riding trip where they went from bed and breakfast to bed and breakfast across Ireland. Everyone always says the horses are amazing. 
I, I did one of those in Wales. I did a, um, a bed and breakfast trip, uh, trans Wales, and it was, the horses were great. So it's true. They're really well-trained. I mean, it was such a fun trip. Um, both of those times. Really what if you great. think about basically, you know, all the jumping disciplines really are foundational in fox hunting and in that tradition of English riding. And so, um, I, you know, Definitely a, a bucket list item for, I think, a lot of folks. So, yeah. But before we get to that, um, wanted to do the term of the month. And, and last, last month I did biddable because we're all kind of being told to stay home last month. And so the term of the month that I wanted to do this month is, is a little bit similar in the, in the, the stay at home Corona situation. And so I chose go to ground which is when a fox goes to ground when it takes refuge in a hole. <laughs> and so... Hey, that's what we're doing! <laughs> so I thought, you know, it's, we've all gone gone to ground and we're taking refuge in our homes. <laughs> and you know, I we sent out an advertising email for um, for Coverside a couple of days ago and we called it Gone to Ground? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think, a lot, you know the term go go to ground that, you know, people think most hunts anymore, you know, well, I shouldn't say most, but a lot of hunts anymore don't hunt live quarry and plenty of hunts do also still hunt live quarry, but you know, it's a successful hunt if the fox or the coyote goes to ground, you know, as much as anything else. And so I know most every hunt that I've been on where we've been after live quarry that the, the quarry, both coyote and fox have gone to ground or, um, sometimes they'll go up in a tree or in a pipe or whatever. And so, you know, the hounds get rewarded for that and then you move on. Right. That's exactly what it means. Go into a hole, go to ground. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's a lot of hunts these days. You know, that's the end, that's the end of that quarry because the fox gets to hunt another day and, or the hunt gets to hunt another day and the, the fox gets to give them good sport and the same with coyotes and whatever else they're hunting. So, yep, goes to ground. It's a very, uh, to go to ground is very commonly heard in the hunt field. Yeah. So, Emily, tell us what's coming up in the latest um, cover site issue or what's up on the website now. Well, we're pretty excited about the upcoming issue because we have a lot of cool stuff and some of that stuff we didn't have room for it in the print magazine, so we're running it on the e-cover side. One of those is uh, um, an interview with Rita Mae Brown, oh, the awesome. author. Yeah, and it's a Q&A. And we're basically talking about how she is inspired by fox hunting and how her stories come about and um, the characters in her stories. And it's a, it's a really fun interview. It's really great. Um, and then we have another piece that's coming up called The Daughters. And we actually had Kaylin Leahy on the show last month. And Kaylin's featured in this story as, lo- as well as Sloane Coles. Um, and these are daughters who grew up hunting in the hunt field um, with parents who were either huntsmen or masters and are now like killing it in the show jumping world. And all three of these young women are are just like great horse women and they have some great tips and it's just really it's really fun about how the discipline of fox hunting helped them become great show jumpers. So um so that's a cool story. And then um in e-cover side we have a little bit about how hunts are reacting to corona 
apocalypse, corona apocalypse, and how. And sadly, this time of year is when a lot of hunts have their um, fundraisers. And so, mm. like hunt uh, point to points and, um, you know, various hunt auctions, horse shows, and a lot of that stuff has been canceled. And some of them are doing some pretty innovative stuff to raise money. So, so we've got a story on that coming up in Coverside. So, lots of good stuff. Excellent. So today we have the a good fortune to discuss adventures um, and, you know, due to the nature of what's happening in the world right now, we thought it would be fun to talk about adventures abroad. So we have Dr. Steve Thomas with us today, who is MFH and Huntsman at Fourth Leavenworth Hunt. And we're excited to have Steve with us. And Steve recently had, did you go just to England, Steve? Is that right? Just to England on this trip, yes. Just to England, excellent. So we would love for, if you would just first tell our listeners a little about yourself, kind of how you came to hunting and, and you know, your hunting life, and then we'll dive into your recent trip. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, grew up on a farm riding Western, like a lot of us. Um, didn't really think that much about fox hunting or know much about fox hunting until my wife and I bought the home that we have now. That was in um, part of the fixture list for um, one of the hunts, and so uh, I was asked to if we could continue to hunt over my property and invited to come and ride. And like so many of us, I got hooked immediately. Um, things progressed over time. Ended up with the Fort Leavenworth hunt, which I'm just absolutely in love with. Um, and uh, after whipping for a few years, was asked to take over the role as huntsman when the previous huntsman left and this will be my fifth season as huntsman and uh, we just had our second round of elections so um, my joint masters and I were re-elected for another three-year term. Well I have to do a sidebar pause so I've been to Steve's place and your barn is one of the coolest barns I've ever seen and I really think it should be on like a historical site registry if it's not well, thank you. Because it, it was um, it was built as a hunting barn, correct? Like for hunt horses? That's correct. Um, the Mission Valley hunt hunted from here for um, maybe as many as 30 years. It was built by uh, their long-term joint master um, in the late 1940s. Um, and they hunted here until the early 80s, I believe. And then y'all, you host the Central State Town Show out of that location. Is that we right? Do. Yeah, which which unfortunately we couldn't have this year. But yeah, that's one of my favorite events of the year, and uh, we've had it here for uh, seven or eight, nine years, something like that. It's a it's a lot of fun. Well, I will say, if anyone did get the opportunity in 2021 to attend the Central State Town Show, you should. If anything, to see beautiful hounds, but also to see that really it's World War II era barn. Is that correct? Yes. Post-World War II. Yeah. They just don't make them like they used to. So fun. Well, so tell us about kind of one thing that we what is interesting for listeners and quite frankly, selfishly is interesting to me is how you plan a trip like this where you go hunting in England. And of course, as in your position, I think with Fort Leavenworth, probably you have some connections, but tell us a little bit about the backstory about how you planned going to England and the hunts that you ended up hunting with. Well, we mentioned the hound shows, which 
to me is uh, an opportunity to meet some absolutely wonderful folks and to make friends and to make connections. And through those connections, uh, I've built my pack of hounds, um, but also built a lot of my hunting trips. Um, people who know people who know people. And as you all know, fox hunters are the most generous, open-hearted people there are. And as soon as you meet someone, they want to invite you to come to their hunt. And uh, so friends that I met through uh, the Central States Hound Show, when I started thinking about going to England, I kind of threw out to people I knew if there had any contacts. And lo and behold, um, the masters of the North Cotswold Hunt and Broadway, England, um, were originally from the Nashville area. And uh, Brad and Jamie Hooker are connected to Hillsborough through Henry Hooker, who was a long-term master there. Um, so they connected me to those folks in England. We were there a couple of years ago just for a brief trip when my daughter was studying abroad and um, had an opportunity to go out with them just on foot and meet and make some friends. And through that, was invited to come back. And that was sort of the center point of, uh, of the trip. My wife and I both love London, so we had to put London into the trip as well. And through connections at North Cotswold, um, was invited to hunt with the Vale of Whitehorse. Unfortunately, um, winter storm Dennis came right in the middle of our trip. And when I had hoped to hunt four times, we ended up only hunting twice. Uh, and both of those times were in very soggy, wet conditions, but it was still incredibly memorable. And um, two times was was enough to get a real taste for enjoying hunting in England. So was that your first time hunting in England? I'd been there on foot. Uh, oh, that's but right. I had not yeah. hunted, mounted, and I've hunted in Ireland and Canada and uh, various places across the United States. I actually met Emily a number of years ago at Casa Ladrone. Yep. Oh, very nice. Out here in the great in the Great West. <laughs> very right. fun. So, you know, we hear about hunting in England, and of course, actual hunting of live quarry is illegal. So, of course, I believe it's a drag hunt, right? Uh, it is, but there are still foxes there, and it's very difficult for huntsmen to not have the hounds hunt a fox if it jumps up in front of them. Right. Uh, so you do get an opportunity to see some animals moving around for sure, but some excellent hound work, some absolutely beautiful country, um, and some challenging riding. Is it, so is it like a five or six hour hunt like it is in other places? Like, cause you, I was, I've never actually gone on a drag hunt. Um, but, yeah, I was here that they're a lot faster. And so, you know, the hounds would get tired more quickly per se, but is it, you know, kind of what's, what's the hunt day like? Well, they're, they're longer than most of our hunts because, um, you know, in the United States, we're primarily hunting coyotes. So a lot of our runs are, are long, solid gallops. Although we had some very long runs there, um, but they're all day events. Um, we started both days at, at 11 o'clock in the morning uh, with a, a very robust stirrup cup. And um, 
most hunts offer the opportunity when you're leasing a horse to lease a second horse. So usually at three to four hours, the second there's a break and the second horses come in and then you go on from there. Uh, both of the hunts that I was at, uh, I only leased a horse from or one horse and, um, the hunt was still going when I left after four hours um, and still going pretty strong after four hours. So what was, uh, what were the horses, um, your, the horse, the horses that you leased, what were they like? Uh, they were, they were both very nice horses. Um, they had both had a lot of experience. Um, one of them was a former eventing horse. Um, the second hunt at the Vale of White Horse, I rode up almost all day with the huntsman. Um, and the horse was very game, um, willing to jump anything that came in our way from hedges to coops to gates to wire, whatever, whatever we came across, we jumped. Um, mm-hmm. First hunt with uh, with North Cotswold because it was so muddy and because we were hunting um, initially in a, a hunting preserve um, with game birds. There wasn't a, a lot of game to be hunted, so uh, it was a little bit slower that day, and it was really really muddy. So. Not a lot of jumping just because we couldn't go onto a lot of the fields because they were so bad um, in terms of moisture. Uh, But both hunts had good horses, very easy to find good hirelings in England, and uh, and they're enjoyable, safe mounts. So do you have any... um do you have any tips or insider info on things you should bring with you when you go overseas to hunt? Um, little sort of tips from tips for travelers, people who want to do it. Um, good to know. Yeah. Good to know. Uh, rain gear. <laughs> don't, forget your, don't forget your rain gear. Um, it's uh, when I was planning the trip, of course it was February here and it had been, very cold and looking at the forecast for the time we were there, temperatures, forties, fifties, I'm thinking 40 and 50 here, you know, where my lighter clothes, but 40 and 50 when it's raining and the wind's blowing in your face pretty hard, it's pretty chilly. Um, so, uh, I would not forget your rain gear, not forget your layers. And, um, if you have rubber mud boots, that might be a better choice than your nice leather boots. Were they not too particular then about being, you know, incredibly traditional in your attire just because the weather was? Uh, there, no, no one, no one gave me a hard time at all about anything less than perfect. Although everyone that I encountered was very, very well turned out. When I had it in Ireland a few years ago, I was expecting that and found that it was actually much more lax than it is here in the United States. People wore um, whatever they felt comfortable wearing, uh, everything from impeccable formal wear to um, a wax cloth coat and a, um, and a racing helmet. Uh, but they, they were the hunts that I was able to attend this time um, Everyone was very well turned out, but no one was critical of 
you know, anything in your attire for sure. Well, I feel yeah. like those are a little bit less well-known hunts. Um, I follow quite a few hunts on Instagram. I think I follow North Cotswolds, but how many folks were in the field with, with the hunt? Um, because of the, the winter storm, the, the, the number of hunt, the, the number in the field was, was small. There were probably 20 of us maybe at North Cotswold and probably 50 at Vale of Whitehorse. Uh, there were a lot of juniors out because it was interterm, so schools were out, and we had a lot of young young riders out. Um, very very talented young people. It was nice to see a lot of young people in the hunt field. Well, do you feel like they treated you any different? Or did they, I'm I'm guessing they know you're a huntsman and a master in the U.S. And so did did they give you a hard time at all? No, I was treated very, very well. I couldn't have asked for anything more. It was interesting, though. Um, I'm not a uh, an expert on English geography, but no one I encountered certainly was an expert on American geography. Uh, people said, oh, Kansas, um, so are you close to the East Coast? Are you close to... Um, someone introduced me as being next door to Hillsborough. Um, <laughs> well, it, it's, it's nine hours next door, but it's, is fairly close. Um, it's like so Emily's next door to me. Yeah. Right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Just, just down the road. So, um, but, um, they don't know a lot about, um, hunting in the United States probably don't study it the way we had study, hunting in England, um, but many people there were familiar with uh, Virginia hunts and uh, up and down the East Coast, and many people had either lived in the United States or hunted in the United States, so um, they weren't unfamiliar completely with what we do, for sure. I I will say when I hunted in England that I was pretty much of an anomaly. They were like, you hunt in Mexico? I was like, no, no, <laughs> New Mexico. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. And well, then they I were like, think, where is that again? <laughs> yeah. And I would think Kansas would get a fairly similar, um, just people not, you know, do you know Dorothy and Toto? Like I, I, did you get any of that? I didn't get that, but I did get a lot of, and where is that? Um, so, um, uh, I think the enormity of the United States is a little hard for people to grasp, but they're not from a very large country. Yeah. Um, and, the diversity that we have in this country is, is not familiar to most people. Were they curious about hunting coyote or did you talk about that much? Not as much as I thought. Um, they just said, Oh, you hunt. That's nice. Um, but they were very, very happy to tell me about their hunts and their traditions and, and their country. And for good reason, it was absolutely beautiful. Um, it just, I had, trouble sometimes keeping my attention on the hounds and what was going on because I just kept looking at the countryside and how beautiful it was. Awesome. I, yeah, I, I definitely is on my bucket list. So what's, what's next up on the horizon? Do you have any other hunting trips kind of that you like would like to plan or have planned or thinking of? I hunted a lot more on trips when, before I was hunting hounds, um, so that's become a little bit more difficult to work that into our fixture schedule, but there'll 
definitely be a hunt somewhere in next year's a hunting trip somewhere in next year's um, next year's planning. My wife is my travel buddy, but she does not hunt. So we try to find places where there are things to do for her while I can slip off and hunt. And uh, um, she's a absolutely loves Ireland as do I. So we'll probably end up going back to Ireland before we go to too many other places. And I've only hunted a couple of places in Ireland. So looking forward to hunting some other parts of the country. Wonderful. Well, that sounds delightful. Well, Steve, we really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing kind of, you know, we're, we're trying to make our April episode a little bit of an escapist to give, give our listeners something to look forward to planning and try, you know, try hunting in different locations. But if anyone wanted to find out more about you or about Fort Leavenworth, where would they go for more info? They can go to our, um, our Facebook page at the Fort Leavenworth hunt. Excellent. Well, thank you. And Stay safe, and hopefully the next time we chat, it will be post-coronapocalypse. We're happy to welcome Mary Ewing as our guest today to talk to us about her grand adventures hunting all over the world, and particularly in France. And so I'm just, uh, I'd like to know a little bit about your hunting background, Mary, before we get started. Oh my, well, I started in the late 70s. And uh, when my son was born in 84, I took a hiatus from hunting. Uh, hunting takes a lot of time to get keep your horse fit, to go hunting. And so I spent my time with my son law practice. And uh, when he uh, was grown, then I went back to hunting. And what was the, were you hunting mostly with Arapaho then? Well, I, I hunted with Arapaho. I was um, a master for about 10 years, and I'm currently spending a lot of time in Virginia, so I'm no longer associated with the Arapaho hunt. I'm a member of some hunts um, in Virginia, and I kept a membership with the other hunt here in Colorado, which is the Bijou Springs hunt. Great. Um, so tell us about some, I know, I know you've been to Ireland, um, and France. So tell us a little bit about those trips and what were some of the most memorable experiences you've had <laughs> hunting overseas? Um, I'll start with France. Uh, I've been on five different trips. The quarry is either the, um, Roebuck, which is called the Shavoya, or the stag, which is bigger than our deer, but smaller than our elk, or the um, um, wild hogs. So the hunts, uh, they're, uh, they're called equipage. The, uh, the, the stag, those tend to be the big showy hunts associated with um, maybe grand uh, chateaus, uh, aristocratic members, so forth. And of course, there are many exceptions to this. The, the roebuck is a very difficult little animal to hunt. Um, and I felt like those were the real hunters. I, and then the one, the hunts that go out after the wild hogs, those are kind of the, the rough and ready, uh, hunters. 
um, like what you might expect. Uh, the hunts in France, they only hunt one prey animal. So once the hounds are on the quarry, they stick with that animal uh, until it's dispatched or they give up. I was on quite a number of hunts that we were out for seven hours. So you wow. learn to uh, make sure that you have a good meal for the, for the pre-hunt breakfasts. <laughs> I also developed a taste for red wine first thing in the morning because you do have to wash down your, um, your um, meals, of course, at that hour. And it, it's quite the grand event with the, the forest are divided into alleys. They're very mannerly um, forest. Think of it as grids with um, uh, alleys or alleys in between. The people that are members of the hunt that have received their, they're called the boutons, the, received their buttons, carry these beautiful thorns. And the members of the field communicate with those French horns. Uh, it, it's a beautiful uh, sound through these gorgeous forests. And what's different about it is in uh, the other parts of the world that hunt, it's the huntsman communicating with the hounds as opposed to the field communicating with each other Basically saying the quarry's gone this way, the quarry's gone that way. Before the hunt, there'll be a beautiful ceremony with reports of where um, scouts have seen the quarry, perhaps where you might be headed. So it's very ceremonial, very beautiful hunting, um, wonderful opportunity to be in the French countryside and be part of that culture. I like to say that when you travel to foreign countries, you're a bit like looking into the fishbowl as opposed to when you're hunting, you're in, you're part of the fishbowl. And, and I found that to be true in England and Ireland as well. You're part of the people. You have this immediate affinity uh, one of my most memorable things uh, hunting in France was going to the Hermes store in Paris. And when the shopkeeper learned that we were hunters, we were invited to go up to the fifth floor atelier where the um, um, saddles are actually made, which was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Quite, quite exciting to to get to see that, and um, something that I'll always cherish. In Ireland, the first time I went hunting, I was there in the off season, and I went uh, beagling. And of course, the the Irish people are so lovely; they all have relatives that have immigrated to the United States. Do you by chance, Mary, know my cousin who's a fireman in Chicago? <laughs> 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 I 
Of course, I know everyone in Chicago. Um, I, when I went uh, that first trip, my son was about uh, five years old, maybe four, and you walk out. It's, uh, and after we'd been walking for some distance and he was with us, this man drove by. He was the, um, the master, and he was in a um, some kind of SUV, and he drove up and said, help me off the lad. And Kyle was tired, and, and without thinking, I did. And off they went, and I thought, you know, nowhere but in Ireland would I give the most precious thing in my life to someone whom I only know as Big Jim. <laughs> I know nothing else. That's <laughs> kind that, of a that, that's kind of a crazy story. <laughs> leap of faith, but it all worked out well. And I, I should have mentioned that we started uh, at this little village. Uh, we were told that there was uh, there was a church and a pub, and the village name was Kill K I L L. So so that was very exciting. Then, you know, 25 years go by and I go hunting uh, on two more more occasions interrupted by about maybe three years. Uh, Both times I stayed with the president of the Irish uh, Foxhounds Association uh, it was both times were glorious events, but the the hunting was rather different. on the On the first occasion, the uh, we it was uh, ditch country, what we would call drains, and um, or what other what they call drains, we would call ditches. But think of it as a ditch that is so steep on its side that you, you, the horse can't possibly go down it and then jump across the water. It has to um, leap across the the drain. It seemed like they were 12 or 15 feet across. Maybe they were only 10, but they were huge. And of course, we've all had experience and an expectation when you're going to to Ireland that you're going to be jumping, but I thought it would be vertical jumps. That's what we normally do. These are are more like broad jumps, where the horse gets up to the edge, rocks back on his haunches, and leaps forward, such that I remember it as feeling like I had about two inches more skill set than I was faced with handling. It was that close to not being able to do it. In so, fact, there was some some famous uh, steeplechase jockey that uh, rode up to me at some point early on when I um, had just gone over one of these, and he said, uh, didn't look good, but it got the job done. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I have a question about that. So the horses, you just, did you just, um, use livery horses and like, what was that like? Well, the, um, the master, uh, as I said, I stayed with both times the, the president of the Irish, 
uh, Fox Hunting Association, and they provided a horse for me. And the horse, both both trips, I hunted maybe three times at each, were fabulous horses that you just kind of hold on. And um, I didn't have any trouble not looking down because I was scared to death to look down. I just kind of closed my eyes and hoped for the best, and it was okay. But Again, it was like six hours of hunting that first trip. And oh my God, I was so exhausted. I thought I needed to be pried out of the saddle. I was so exhausted. And they had a dinner for me that night. I literally fell asleep at the dinner. I suspect they thought I'd had too much to drink. It wasn't that at all. I was that exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> and the second trip, it was more, um, it was different country and the, the drains were more manageable. The, um, the vertical jumps were manageable. So it wasn't, uh, I won't say it wasn't challenging because that would understate it, but it didn't seem quite as life and death an experience as what I'd had before, <laughs> but I, I love Ireland. I love Ireland and they have, of course, fabulous, um, hunts. There's a hunt on, they're all over the place. Hunts. So the people are so, so gracious and so lovely. They tend, uh, to be less, much, much less formal. You've, see many many people in you know anoraks and casual clothes uh as opposed to the very formal formal looking attire in france and i should have mentioned you you ride the french hunters or french uh trotters in france which is a unique experience in and of itself um in england where i hunted with I've only hunted there on one trip, but I hunted with maybe four hunts, and it's more stylized, like what you would expect. I hunted with the corn, which I think is perhaps that of the Duke of Beaufort, or perhaps the most prestigious hunts in England. Again, I stayed with uh, the master who was... a fabulous, fabulous uh, rider. And um, I had a fabulous horse uh, and I stayed right behind uh, a gentleman who later became the master who was a fabulous uh, rider and I just did what he did and got along just fine. It was wonderful. Uh, and I went with the uh, work hunt, and um, that was lovely, but the weather had turned, and we hunted on foot, so that was that was unique to keep up with the very fit young huntsman uh, on foot behind the hounds, and then I hunted with uh, two other hunts. So England, uh, you have the opportunity to ask for a second horse. They stop kind of midway, and you are provided, if you have ordered a second uh, horse, you um, it's met and you're given one. I had decided, having had 
the experience of these very long hunts in France, very long hunts in Ireland, that I would be quite happy with not having a uh, <laughs> second <laughs> second horse. But yeah, when again, I hunted in England, I I took the pass on on part two also. <laughs> <laughs> so does that mean then you're like, just done uh, for the day? Yeah, you just yeah, hack it. Yeah, well, yeah, you but, return to the meat, right, Mary? You return to the meat, and then, like, that's yeah, how it was in ours. Yeah. We kind of circled back to the meat, and people who and waited wanted in to the pub bug off, bugged off, and people but, who wanted to keep but, going kept going, got their horse, and kept one going. Of, one of the um, hunts where I hunted in England, I was staying with a, a friend of mine, an English woman, and uh, went back to her place, and when the um, hounds came in after the second horse, the the whole meat came to her home, and we had tea and crumpets in her garden, <laughs> which was lovely. <laughs> and you're you're given before the English hunts lovely little tasty treats and things. Um, I did not have that experience in Ireland. You're kind of on your own and you better be prepared for a long, a long day. Well, Mary, I know something that is, is in, you know, all of these wonderful, amazing trips. How, like, how do you go about coordinating? Um, is it connections you have through the, the hunts that you've been involved with, or how do you even find where to go hunting in France or England or Ireland? Well, uh, when I went in uh, France, I went with the, uh, a French woman who was the wife of one of the joint masters of Arapaho, and she arranged it. She knew the various people, and we, we traveled around France, uh, starting north of Paris and then going down through the Loire Valley and uh, down to the Vendée in southern France and then back up to um, um, Chantilly, we'd say Chantilly. Uh, so I got to see a lot of France. When I went hunting in uh, Ireland, those were trips that were part of uh, an auction through the MFHA. I know enough people now in um um, Ireland that I, I could call friends that I made there and say, hey, I'd like to come um, the same way in, in England. But um, there are, for example, hotels or um, uh, some are grander than others that yeah. will provide will provide you with an opportunity to hunt. There are tour groups that will provide that. There's a young woman who's uh, become a very good friend of mine, uh, Adrienne Rubin, who has a business called Equiscapes, and she's doing hunting experiences all over the world, uh, from South Africa to France, um, and she's a great contact for someone who was wanting to um, go to a foreign country and ride. Well, and then my other question too would be, I'd be curious to hear your perspective on the difference of, I, I live in Texas and, and hunt um, around Fort Worth. 
and we have a lot of members who used to go to Ireland and hunt a lot. I don't know that any of them had ever gone to England or France. We also used to have a member who hunted with us for a few years who he was French and has since moved back to France. But did you find the welcome or the the invitingness of the group vary by country or just kind of by hunt? Or did you feel welcomed? And um, I've always heard stories, too, that the Irish like to kind of pick on the Americans and put them on crazy horses. Well, you know, everyone, I, all three countries where I've hunted, they were, the people were incredibly friendly, accommodating, um, just lovely to visitors. Um, I, I did not experience any untoward uh, treatment in any respect whatsoever. I think that, that the hunting community is such, as I mentioned, with being able to go into the atelier at, at the Hermes store, uh, you are welcomed and, because you're part of the fraternity of hunts and people are gracious and joyous to have you. I've heard those stories about um, uh, being overfaced in Ireland, and I, I have to wonder if someone goes there, you know, with a chip on their shoulder or bragging about their ability, and they might get brought down a, a notch or two. I, I have not hunted anywhere in the United States, and I haven't hunted that many places, but I haven't hunted anywhere. None of the places where I've been are as challenging as the Irish hunts, but the English hunts go over pretty darn big fences as well. In in um, France, they don't jump, but when you are on one of those French trotters, um, that's in and of itself has a bit of a challenge. I I uh, used to raise and ride trekkers, so I I thought, oh, I'm used to big trots. This won't be a problem. <laughs> the first time I went out, this horse with a roached mane took off. She was a lovely horse, but it was so fast and so strong that I literally <laughs> I grabbed I grabbed the saddle pad. <laughs> gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> and I and after after a few strides I said, Mary, just relax. You can do this. But after that, I always took a um, a breast collar and uh, stirrups and stirrup leathers, which might sound strange, but when you're getting on a horse that you don't know, but more importantly, in a saddle that you've never sat on before, you don't want to be a problem. You know, the, oh, the stirrup is a quite stirrup leather is quite long enough or it's too short or you know you're having to fiddle with stuff and I learned don't bother with that just bring your own have them put those on you usually have somebody saddling your horse for you to say you want yours and it's not about a problem then you know they're going to be the right length 
And if you bring your own breast collar or at a minimum, a stirrup leather, you've got an oh shit strap or as I say in, in Ireland, a Jesus strap. <laughs> that That's that good is, advice. Those yeah. are great tips. Those are great tips. I would never have thought of that, Mary. I would have, you know, yeah. been overseas hunting and I've never brought my own stirrups, but you're absolutely yeah. right about that. When I hunted in England, I was like, I was almost late because I was fiddling with the stirrups. Exactly. Exactly. I learned those the hard way. Yeah. The hard way. Well, they're easy to transport. So it's not like a whole freaking saddle. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And then of course it's traditional to take little presents to be given to, um, if you're staying with someone, to the uh, the huntsman, you might give them a donation to the hound fund. You do something beyond what capping fee to be a gracious guest. And speaking of gracious guests, we really appreciate your time uh, on our show today. We, we're going to have to wrap it up here and. Um, thank you so much for joining us and telling us about all your great adventures. Well, I hope it was helpful. It was, I hope so. I, yeah, I'm sure it was. Everybody, our listeners will be, will be nice. It'll be fun for them to be transported somewhere else during these times. <laughs> we all need something Amen. to look forward to. Yep. Right, right. <laughs> you can find Coverside online at eCoverside.net or the digital edition at issuu.com slash ecoveredside. Tara can be found at Instagram, search P.N. Tibbets. Find the links to today's guests and the show notes at horsesinthemorning.com. You can follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning. And you can have all of the Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go with our free app for iPhone and Android. Just go to your app store and search for the Horse Radio Network. Thank you so much to our sponsor, Coverside Magazine. Good night. Good night. <laughs>